Very good morning. Morning, everyone. Now let me begin by giving us a very quick uh, lesson on buying reusable plastic water bottles. Right? Now, for certain kinds of plastic, not all kinds of plastics, uh, we should buy uh, these kinds that are BPA-free. I have them up on the screen. Uh, like I said, not all kinds of plastic bottles are poisonous or harmful and contain this uh, bad substance, BPA. But for certain uh, water bottles that are reusable, you should buy those that are BPA-free. So BPA stands for bisphenol A, an industrial chemical that has been used to make certain plastics since the 1950s. And exposure to BPA is a concern because of the possible health effects on the brain and prostate glands of fetuses, infants, and children. And so if you're buying those reusable water bottles, please buy those that are BPA-free. And I have no uh, fee from any of the plastic water uh, bottle makers right, for this announcement. But I decided to use that as an introduction to this sermon, but with a twist, because for our case this uh, uh, morning, or sermon, BPA-free doesn't stand for bisphenol A, but really BPA stands for building prayer altars. To build prayer altars. Our scripture text is Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 to 15, where Jacob once again encounters God. So let me read the word of God to us. Then God said to Jacob, go out to battle and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to battle where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. And so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. And then they set out, and the terror of God fell on all the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Verse 6, Jacob and all the people with him came to Lutz, that is Bethel in the land of Canaan. And there he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother uh, Esau. Right. So let's skip verse 9. After Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. And God said to him, your, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be your, among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked to him, Bethel. This is the word of God. Come, let us pray. Lord, we thank you once again as we study the life of Jacob. And we see how he has built altars to remember you, to give thanks to you, to praise your name. We pray, O Lord, today as we go into a very practical teaching session, what it means to build prayer altars in our lives, that, Lord, indeed, your Holy Spirit will enable us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, years ago, I approached a prominent Christian figure, a pastor figure in our Singapore Christian scene, and asked this pastor to mentor me in the area of prayer. So, you see, actually, it's uh, pretty easy to equip yourself in the area of Bible study. There are tons of materials out there for you to learn how to do a better Bible study. Right? For those of you who even want to study the Bible a lot more, a lot deeper, you can even sign up for a Bible school, you know, to attend a program on Bible study. But prayer, prayer is one of those areas, right? It's very hard, you know, to just read about it and grow in it. Unlike Bible study, you can read, you can study, and you can grow in it. But prayer is one of those areas like swimming, cycling. You can read a lot about it, but unless you're in the pool, unless you get onto the bicycle, it's really hard for you to grow and improve in that skill, in the area. For example, hearing God's voice in prayer. It's something that you need to immerse yourself in with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to teach you what it means to sharpen you whether you're hearing God's voice correctly for yourself. So, so that's why I approached this uh, so-called famous pastor for tutelage. I was hoping to join him in his prayer sessions so that I can learn to grow practically from experience, you know, to catch a godly person in prayer and then learn and grow from there. Unfortunately, the answer came back from this pastor was no and I can completely understand the reasons why. 
And so, in the end, God's, in God's providence, I learned the area of prayer, not at the feet of a Christian master, as it were, but through brothers and sisters in Christ here at Amokyo Methodist Church. So I asked this pastor uh, for tutelage when I was still a theological student. But God has his plans. I learned and grew a lot in the area of prayer through being here with all of you here at Amokyo Methodist Church. I see that also as a prophetic picture. Maybe it's also God's grace for all of us that actually we don't need some master to teach us in the area of prayer. We just need each other. Those of us who are already, you know, a lot more skilled and experienced in the area of prayer to help one another grow in this area. It was because, I mentioned this story before, I was assigned to oversee the prayer ministry back here in 2012. That I joined many prayer meetings, I had to conduct many press uh, training sessions, and then I realized how inadequate I was. I had to go and learn, and then come back, and then help our prayer ministers to grow. So together we grow in the area of prayer. I truly believe, you know, that's God's heartbeat, and maybe God's blueprint for all of us as well, as the body of Christ, that we learn prayer best when we pray with one another. We learn prayer best when we learn to pray with one another. As in the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon every believer, not just a few, but every believer. And so I believe that's the prophetic picture for all of us. And so today's sermon really is a very practical lesson, a practical school of prayer for all of us to grow. So I will just briefly teach from the text. I want to spend more time in actual prayer so that we can learn and grow together. Again, uh, Bible study, there are many books and programs, but to learn prayer, the best way is immersion. Just like learning a language. You can read a lot, you know, grammar, but unless you immerse yourself in the culture of a foreign language in a country that is not yours, it's very hard for you to grow in it, right? So the best way to learn prayer is immersion. So again, to clarify, I'm not against Bible study. I think it's very important. But as Methodists, if you can kind of see my way of understanding, my philosophy of ministry, we need both the we need three dimensions, head, heart, and hands. It's very easy to be big-headed, <laughs> study a lot, know a lot. I'm nothing against Bible study, but we don't want lopsided, you know, big-headed Christians. We want people also of the heart. We are strangely warm people in our hearts. That's John Wesley's legacy to us. Our hearts must always be tender and soft before the Lord. But we are also famous as Methodists for our hands to do good works. So we don't just want to be big-headed, big-hearted, but actually sit there on the couch doing nothing. So we also want to be very practical people who will minister to the poor, the needy. So these three dimensions, for me, really summarizes what it means to be a so-called a good Methodist. Head, heart, and hands. So here, let's return to our text for today. Jacob returns to Bethel. God calls him to do that. Notice it's God who calls him to go back to Bethel, to settle there, to build an altar there. So again, if you recall, Bethel was the place that Jacob had his dreams of angels ascending, descending, when he was fleeing from his brother Esau. And so Jacob obeys. And two important dimensions when he built his altar were cleansing and consecration. Cleansing and then consecration. So how did they do that? Physically, they washed themselves. Physical cleansing. Spiritually, symbolically, they buried all their idols. They surrendered all their idols to Jacob and then he buried them. So remember these two dimensions, cleansing and consecration, because these are very important dimensions when we build an altar to God. Now, in other faiths, they have a physical altar. It's somewhat easier to relate to a physical altar because these are things that you can touch, that you can offer certain things on. And so for us as Christians, it's a bit more difficult because we are not going to build a physical altar. But we are building to God a prayer altar, a spiritual altar. But these two dimensions are equally important, cleansing and consecration. And there at Bethel, Jacob does build God an altar, and verse 14 tells us it's a stone pillar. And on that power of stone, Jacob poured oil and drink offerings. Now these are days before Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, then God gives very specific instructions how they're supposed to do their offerings, but not at this juncture in time. Jacob simply offered whatever he desired, and God accepted it because his heart was right. Then the text itself can be pretty confusing because there are several repetitions. And then the sequence of events aren't very really chronological. Verse 9 tells us that Jacob returned from Pada Aran, God blessed him and changed his name in verse 10. And then in verses 11 to 12, the way the text is written, it makes us feel as if Jacob was hearing from God the very first time. But actually, we have already covered all these passages, right? Earlier in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 32, three chapters earlier, Jacob already had his name changed. So what is this happening here? 
Now, one of the problems for us really as modern readers is that we are not so familiar with the geography of the place. And that's why when we read as if it's chronological, we're a bit thrown off, we're a bit confused. But if you know the geography, Padan Aram actually was the place that Jacob's uncle was located. So he had already gone to Padam Aran earlier. It is not a recap that he went again to Padam Aran. Rather, he had already gone there. He had returned to Canaan long ago. He wasn't moving about from place to place. And so verses 9 to 15 really are a summary. All that has happened, all the details, verses 9 to 15 is confusing. If you think that it's happening for the first time, but it's not, it's a summary. All that Jacob has gone through, verses 9 to 15 summarizes it. Now in Hebrew, let's come back to the author part. The word Bethel, as I mentioned to you before, means house of God. House of God. So again, these are days before Moses, the Ark of the Covenant. In During Moses' days, the Ark of the Covenant basically was where the presence of God dwelt, resided, but not here. At this point in time, there was no Ark of the Covenant yet. And so God's presence is associated with Bethel. That is the place in Jacob's time associated with the presence of God. Moses' time different, Ark of the Covenant. God's presence goes with them. But here, at this juncture, it is a place, the house of God, where angels were ascending and descending. Now, the key lesson really is this. For today, the key lesson is this. God wants us to dwell in His presence. God wants us to learn to dwell in His presence. And that's why He asked Jacob to move there. Again, notice the text. Who gave the command? God told Jacob, move Go over to Bethel and build me an altar there. And Jacob, we know, was the, the Bethel that we know was the place that Jacob encountered God, the house of God. So for all of us, God's presence should also be our dwelling place. God calls all of us to dwell in His presence. God's presence really is the most precious place. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were cast out of God's presence. The Garden of Eden represented God's presence and they were cast out from it. So sin separates us from God's presence. The whole Bible really is a story about how humanity will one day return into the fullness of God's presence. Moses understood the great significance of God's presence. When God was angry, the Israelites were building a golden calf. Moses interceded. God relented. God himself said, however, I will send my angel to bring you into the promised land, but I will not go with you. My presence will not go with you. And that's when Moses interceded and he said to God, verse uh, 15 and 16 of Exodus 33, God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? So Moses understood the most important dimension is God's presence. Jesus' incarnation is the greatest expression of God's desire to dwell with us. Why did Jesus come? Not just to die for our sins, but to dwell with us. right? So his death, resurrection, ascension also provide the way for us back into God's presence. So really that is God's desire. And in the final book of the Bible, Revelation, we see God's presence come on earth. And then we will be with God forever. So this whole theme from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation is about God's presence. God wants to dwell with us and he, uh, we are supposed to dwell with him forever. So Christians, all of us, are meant to dwell in God's presence. And the reason actually is very simple. Children of God should always be living in the presence of their Father, our Heavenly Father in heaven, right? We know this at a human level. Every child has a right to a good family, where good parents are around. Children should be brought up in the love and care of their parents. That is so human, we understand it. And it is true as well for us at a spiritual level. God wants us to dwell with Him, to learn to dwell in His presence. And that's why today I want to teach on a very practical lesson on building prayer altars. Because Jacob built altars to God, today's lesson for us is not a physical altar, but a prayer altar. And that will help us to grow, to learn to dwell in God's presence more. But before that, I think we need to answer a very legitimate question. But isn't God everywhere? <laughs> isn't God already everywhere? Isn't His presence already everywhere? So aren't we already dwelling in God's presence? Well, the answer is yes and no. Yes, indeed, God is everywhere. He is everywhere. 
Yet we also know from the Bible that we don't yet experience the fullness of God's presence. We don't yet experience the fullness of His presence here on earth because the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation of a future day when God's presence will fully be with us. Do we dare to say we have experienced that already, that fullness of that reality? No. Yet at the same time, is God everywhere? Yes. So is God everywhere? Yes and no. <laughs> right? So a better way perhaps to describe what I'm going to teach us is really to become more aware of God's presence. I'm going to say it slower here <laughs> so that we understand it. To become more aware of God's presence, which is already with us. Yes, He's already with us, but we're not aware of it. So we need to learn to become aware of that. Yet, at the same time, we are building a prayer altar because it's an express desire on our part. We welcome Him to come in the fullness of His return. Again, uh, is God's presence everywhere? Yes and no. And so He's everywhere. So we need to learn to be aware of His presence that is already with us. And yet, because it is not full, we need to hunger and welcome more of His presence in our lives. But this statement, right, is such a mouthful. <laughs> you cannot always be saying, let us learn to become more aware of God's presence and welcome the fullness of His return. So, summarize, is dwell in God's presence. <laughs> but actually, that's what I'm trying to say. When I say, let's learn to dwell in God's presence, this is what I'm really meaning. All right? So I'm not teaching us today some kind of magic or some kind of supernatural method that this is the only way for us to welcome uh, God's presence or to become more aware of His presence. Right? So this is not the only way, I'm say again, it is not the only way, uh, but it is one way. At the same time, we need to understand we cannot manipulate God by our human effort. It's not like you do certain things, A, B, C, D, then God will definitely must do you know, the, you will definitely be able to get God to come in our presence or we be more aware of Him. So, nonetheless, it is based upon the firm biblical understanding that God's desire is to dwell with us. And so, BPA, Building Prayer Authors, BPA, becomes our response to His desire. So, it is God who has this desire first. And so, BPA becomes our response to His desire Remember, uh, it's not the other way around. God, I'm going to manipulate by doing this BPA so that you come to my life. No. <laughs> it is God who has taken initiative. Now we are responding to Him. Dwelling in God's presence is to learn to become more aware of His presence, which is already with us, and yet not fully with us, and we long for more. Now, if you're wondering in the New Testament, there is the basis for this. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 and 15. Let me read to us Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. So here the, book, the book, author of the book of Hebrews says, the Old Testament, the priests, they eat at the tabernacle. And so they eat of the offerings, you know, the, the extra stuff that come from the people's offerings. But for us as New Testament believers, we have a new altar. And this altar is not a physical altar. It is a spiritual altar. And then at verse 15, it says, Through Jesus, therefore... Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. In the past, they offered animals, goats, bulls, the blood of animals. But now because of Jesus, He's the perfect offering. We don't offer animals anymore, but we offer a sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess His name. Now this verse is very important because building prayer altars require us to profess His name, to open our lips to have a sacrifice of praise. As you will understand later on, why it is a sacrifice of praise when it takes time and effort to praise God with our mouths praying aloud. So again, in the Old Testament, they used an altar of stones, physical altar. During the days of Moses, they had a portable brazen altar. In the days of Solomon, they had a huge altar as well for sacrifices. But for us as New Testament believers, the altars that we built are not physical, they are spiritual. In fact, the Bible tells us we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. All of us, individuals as well as the body of Christ. And so again, Hebrews chapter 13 tells us to offer to God a sacrifice of praise. In fact, Romans chapter 12 verses 1 to 2 tells us we are to be the living sacrifice. Offer yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. So no more bulls and goats. 
Jesus has done the perfect thing. Now we respond to his love for us by offering ourselves with our sacrifice or praise to be on that spiritual altar. So sometime before the pandemic, we invited uh, two pastors, Pastor Timothy T from the Heart of God Ministries, as well as Pastor Tim Gibson from the Church of Singapore, Bukit Timah. And they were the ones who equipped us in the prayer ministry in this area of building prayer altars. And so we have since used what they taught us to build prayer altars every third Wednesdays of the month using our, during our prayer and praise sessions. And so let me now go into the practical part of it, BPA. And the basic structure they have taught us is this, as I will teach you, but I've modified it slightly to simplify it for everyone. First step is to go. Is to go. Because Jacob was asked by God, commanded by God, to go, live where he was, and go to Bethel. And for us, that lesson is we need to go to, to a set time and place. To go from the comfort of our homes to a time and place we won't be easily distracted and loud back into sleep. It's so easy to go back to sleep, right, when you're on your bed. <laughs> That's why corporate worship is so important. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here because you are here. <laughs> but a changed environment really helps all of us to focus. Somewhere different from our usual time, you know, our bed, you know, our house. So coming together will help us uh, be more focused. So first step in building a prayer altar is to go. Second step they taught us was to read the word. And in this case, it is not just visually reading. It is declaring reading aloud chunks of scriptures to recite the word of God aloud. And they taught us, they recommended reading huge chunks of scriptures. You want to guess how many chapters of Bible they asked us to read? Aloud? Ten. Whoa. To be honest, that's really a lot. That's why they taught us you need to sacrifice one hour of your time because you will spend 30 to 40 minutes of that time just reading the scriptures aloud. No Bible study, just read it aloud. And according to their method, if you follow this method, you can finish the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice every year. <laughs> just reading 10 chapters aloud every day. But for today's purposes, we will just read one, one chapter. Ah. Huh? Otherwise, uh, the service will never end. We will move on to the next service and they continue the prayer altar. But as we read this word of God, Allowed. Two questions we should always be thinking about. Number one, what can I learn about God that I can praise Him more? What can I learn about God from the text that I'm reading that I can praise Him more? It's not about Bible study. If you don't understand the text, it's okay. As long as you can find out certain things about who God is, you can praise Him God more. Second question, what can I learn about myself that I need to repent of? So as you read the passage aloud, maybe God's Spirit will convict you or of certain areas in your life. So... You need to be conscious of that sin or the weakness that God has highlighted to you. And these will come in again later, right? As we praise God, as we repent. Third step he, they taught us was to praise His name. To say hallowed be God's name, to keep praising God's name, hallelujah for who He is, and so on and so forth. So remember Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15, Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Fruits of lips that openly profess His name. Right. So after we read the Word of God aloud, the next step is to lift our hands and loudly proclaim His name. Praise Him for who He is. Using the Word of God, the passage that you have just read, praise Him for who He is. Praise Him until you enter into an atmosphere of worship and you start to become aware of His presence. You hear that? You have to keep praising until you become aware of His presence. Right, keep doing that. And so this, this, this portion is in response to the first question I asked you all to think about when you read the Word of God, which is, what can I learn from God that I can praise Him more? So later on, we'll have a practical, then you can understand. I'll guide us through this. Remember who God is, the traits of God according to His Word, and you praise Him according to His Word. You don't need to invent new language. You just praise Him according to the Word of God that is written. Then, from there, you go continually be aware of God's presence through praise and worship songs or even through silence. But later on, for our sake, we will have praise and worship songs. And then step number four really are multiple steps, but I have uh, tried to modify them. here. Yeah, multiple steps, but I try to put them into uh, various things that can possibly happen in prayer. So the first thing that can possibly happen is personal repentance and consecration. Personal repentance and consecration. 
Again, look at Jacob's account. He and his family were cleansed and then consecrated. They had to say no to the foreign idols in their lives and say yes to God. And this is where we respond then to the second question. What can I learn about myself that I need to repent of? So we praise God for who He is, and then we consecrate ourselves, we repent of things in our lives that God has pointed to us, we need to change. And there, uh, in our course three years ago, Pastor Gibson taught actually a very systematic cleansing and consecration of our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hands, our hearts, our bodies, spirit, soul, and so on and so forth. So, so I will guide us through this portion later on. And then they also talk about praying in the Spirit, pray for a fresh infilling of God's Spirit. If you have the gift of tongues, this is where you can also exercise the gift to, to pray in the Spirit. And then we also have intercession. As we go through repentance, consecration, praying in the Spirit, we are learning to attune ourselves, to tune ourselves to God's Spirit, to what God wants to say, to, wants to intercede for the world. Remember, Jesus is always interceding for the world. So as we come into His presence, we get to hear His heart. And then when we hear His heart, we begin to pray what is on His heart, and we begin to intercede like He does. And here we may do a portion of what we call identification repentance, just like Daniel and Nehemiah did. That means they identified themselves with their ancestors. If you look at Daniel, Nehemiah, their prayers basically was this, forgive us, Lord, for we have sinned against you. Even though they were not the ones who caused the exile, you know, not Daniel, not Nehemiah, they were simply in the exile. But in their prayers, they said, God, forgive us, for we have sinned along with our ancestors. So that's called identification, repentance. You may not have sinned, but if God places upon your heart that you want to identify, He wants you to identify with a certain group of people who have sinned, you join Him. Say, God, forgive us. You know, for we have also done certain wrong things, just like my generation did. You may not be the one who has done it, but you identify yourself with your generation or whatever God identifies or places upon your heart. Subsequently, the other things that can possibly happen include declaration and decree. So we hear from God, not just to intercede, but to declare. Certain things we declare and decree in the spiritual realm, it will happen. We can also make a covenant with God. God calls us into a deeper communion with Him. We remain in His presence. He wants us to fellowship with Him. Sometimes we don't need to pray. We simply just stay there in His presence to be with Him in His spirit, in our spirit with His spirit. And other times, God you know, gives us a fresh mission and mandate. Don't be surprised if it gives you a new purpose or mission in your life. I want you to do certain things. In the prayer time, it may not happen every day, but sometimes He may tell you, I want you to do this change, right? To do something else in your life. Whatever it is, we must be open to God's Spirit. So these are the few things that can potentially happen in the time of prayer. So these are all elaborations of point number four. Now here is the very basic fourfold structure when we build prayer altars to the Lord. Go. Have a set time and place. Right? The church is a corporate prayer altar. Second, read the word of God aloud. Not just read with your eyes, read it aloud. Third, praise him according to his word. You don't need to invent new things. Whatever the word of God says, you praise. You praise him according to his word. Number four, the prayer part. That's where we learn to grow as we immerse in prayer together. Right? So it's a journey we must keep doing as, a God, as God's people. Very often, in our devotional quiet times, we very quickly go from reading God's Word to making personal prayer requests. True? I mean, I also do that, right? Even though I know all these, there are times that I don't follow what I teach, so I also need to repent and you know, learn to grow in this area again. But many times, after we read the Word of God, we straight away, oh Lord, please help me with this, please help me with this, amen. Then we move on. That is not prayer altar. <laughs> Okay, prayer altar requires us really to spend extended time learning to become aware of God's presence and learn to live our lives from being in His presence. We often make the mistake of not having a dedicated time and place for our personal devotion as well as our corporate worship. So, based on point number one, we need to learn to set aside certain times and places for this dedicated time. Every day, I think it's really challenging, but at least twice a week, once, Corporate worship, if possible. Second, you know, in your own personal quiet time, have a dedicated time with the Lord. Second mistake we often make is that we don't read the Word of God aloud. Do you know, you know, the first psalm that we always read, blessed is the man who does not dwell in the seat of sinners and so on and so forth, but he dwells, he meditates on the Word of God day and night. The word meditate there actually means to mutter under your breath. 
So it's not just read with your eyes or meditate in your mind. It's meditating with your mouth. And that's what the Jews do, actually. They read the, the Torah. They recite it. Right? So that's the idea here. Blessed is the man or woman right, who meditates on the Word of God. That is, medit- uh, read it out aloud, day and night. Scripture was not meant just to be read silently. It is also meant to be read aloud. And then the part that we often neglect, which is very important to recapture in, prayer, in this prayer altar, is to praise God for who He is. So it's not about us, it's about who God is. So we learn to praise God for who He is, then we learn to become more aware of His presence, and then finally, you know, we make the mistake of telling our, our needs to God so, so quickly we fail to listen to His needs, or rather His desires. What does He want us to pray? So that last part of prayer is learning to tune in to what God's desire is. And we pray according to His desire. His desire may be for us to do something. His desire may be for others. So whatever He says, we just pray according to His desire for us at that moment. Alright, so very quickly, uh, I'm going to end and go into the practical part. Just a few more comments. Today, we'll learn prayer altar. But actually, every Wednesday, every third Wednesday at the prayer and praise is our corporate prayer altar. So that's where you can continue to come and practice along with all of us to grow in awareness of God's presence, to hunger for more of His presence. There is also great power in building this corporate prayer altar to push back the spiritual darkness and to change spiritual atmospheres. These are things that Pastor Timothy and Pastor Gibson taught us in those days to change spiritual atmospheres by building prayer altars. Alright, so today's sermon is entitled BPA colon free. It's free because it really doesn't require any money. <laughs> you already have your Bibles, soft copy or otherwise. I don't need you to buy new Bibles. It's free. If you don't play any musical instrument, you can always go to YouTube, Spotify. You can find worship music for free. But the thing here, I must tell you all, you need to plan for it. right? If not, you go to the song list, huh? you don't know what to play, press, press, it will take some time. So you need to plan also for the prayer altar. Uh, If you can play an instrument, good. You probably already own an instrument. You don't need to pay money. So let me say to Justin especially, where's Justin? No more new guitars because of this lesson. All right? You don't need to buy a new musical instrument to build prayer altars. You can use whatever you have. It's free. And then it's also freeing because there is freedom in Christ. As we come into God's presence more and more, we learn to join His presence more and more. We learn that there's really freedom in God's presence. John chapter 8, I'll close with this scripture text and then we'll go into the practical part of it. Jesus says uh, to the Jews who have believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, have never been slaves for anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So notice what Jesus says, if we hold on to his teaching, which is found where? In the Bible, right? If we hold on to his teaching, we read it aloud, we always begin with the word of God and the promise from Jesus, the truth will set us free. He himself will set us free. So if we are found in bondage to sin, the best way, one of the ways really to overcome sin is to we go back to the Word of God and build prayer altars. Then the cleansing and consecration will come into our lives. It may not be immediate, but if you keep doing this, you will see yourself growing in holiness. Alright, let me invite the music team up to help us in this time. So BPA free, it's building prayer altars. It's free, you don't need to pay anything. It's freeing as we learn to dwell in God's presence. So since we are already here, we have already fulfilled number step number one, go. <laughs> Second thing is to read aloud the scripture passage. And for today, I've chosen Colossians chapter 1. It's an easy introduction. Why? Because Colossians chapter 1 has a lot of things that you can praise God for. <laughs> it's easy to launch from this passage to learn to praise God for who He is. Right? I'm going to invite us to stand. If you are able, you can stand. But it might be quite a long time. If you're not able to stand, that's fine. But if you can, if you're able, please stand. Okay, so this is where we will read the Word of God aloud together. Alright? 
Along the way, if you feel like you want to sit down, please feel free to do so. If you feel like you want to kneel instead or so, feel free to do so. Together, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear faithful servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since we have heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in the mind through because of your behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope that held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, on of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, we present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously content all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So this is the word of God. We pray. We are now going to get Justin to help us to begin to focus. 
you turn to your own Bibles, we'll praise God for who He is. Verse 15, for example, the Son is the image of the invisible God, so and so forth. All those verses, you begin to pray out aloud and praise God's name. But let's focus with this song first. We sing uh, Highest Place. Highest Place. Let's God give God the highest place, the pre-evidence that Christ deserves. We place you on the highest place. Oh, you are the great high priest. We place you high above. God at the highest place. We place you on the highest place. For you are the great high priest. We place you my mind in a while, you just read you know, verses 15 to 18 or so and so forth as the Spirit leads you, just praise God for who He is. Jesus, I praise you, you are the teacher the firstborn of all creation. Come, let's pray a lot. I need to hear your voice, people. You hear all things, all creators, things in heaven and on earth. consecrate to you our eyes protect our eyes to look at things that are good we repent of things that have taken away our attention from you Lord we consecrate and cleanse uh, to you our ears we ask for your cleansing we repent of the things that we've heard that have 
spoken to you of others that do not build up, we repent. We consecrate to you our mouths, Lord. Put our hands over our mouths. We repent of things we have spoken out of anger, out of jealousy, out of envy, out of ill intention. We ask for cleansing that we may declare your praise and live our lives, our mouths especially, in accordance to our profession so that in one mouth we will not on one hand praise you or on the other hand curse others. We consecrate to you our hands, Lord, and our feet. Put our hands and feet to your kingdom's purposes. We consecrate now our hearts, our soul, our spirit to you. We want to lay aside every idol that has been revealed to us. I'm going to give you time to repent of idols that God has revealed in your lives that you need to lay down. awareness of God's presence we sing the next song Heart of Worship so as we sing this song I encourage you to just continue to do your conversations with the Lord whatever He speaks to you just pray it out in response to Him It's the blood, Father. 
And because of this blood, we are now worthy, Lord. Now worthy to be called your beloved son and your beloved daughter. And we can call you Abba Father, Papa God. So Father, we stand now, we stand, we sit, we kneel. We are now in your presence as a child of God. We are now in your presence as a worthy child. All the shame, all the guilt is all nailed to the cross and you bore it for us. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, our Saviour, our Lord, our Master. That is who you are. Jesus, Father, we just want to just come into your presence, worship you, love you, open our hearts, our spirit, our minds to you, declare who you are. So let us sing this song, Heart of Worship, again. So we now stand as worthy beings under a worthy God. King of endless world, no one could express how much you deserve. desire to love you more to come to your presence to set aside time to praise your name to worship you so Lord we, as we continue our worship we look to you our Lord Jesus Saviour 